0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy!
1: Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Kyle, and we are back together, once again reunited. Emily had a wonderful time in the City of Dreams, or whatever it's called.
1: <laughs> yep, uh, Disney World, man. It it is. Um, it's it's intense there, but we had a great time.
0: Yeah, saw the mouse. Believe it or not. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I rode Space Mountain, although my children did not. And uh, yeah, it was it was good. It was a uh, there was a there was a um, a cold snap in Florida just before we got there, but then that was over and it was in the 70s it was great
0: that's awesome
1: yeah and i got to listen in a little bit uh, to the episodes that happened while i was away and really enjoyed listening to uh Seema and anaki um, and you of course um, yeah yeah so and many thanks to uh, to those two for um for, for stepping in while i was away
0: yes indeed uh, all right. Well, let's let's get back into it. I know you've been I know you've been dying the last couple oh, of weeks. Yeah. You didn't get I to mean, talk about Jeopardy. So
1: Disney World is good, but not as good as Jeopardy. Yeah, amen.
0: So this is the week of February twenty eighth, twenty twenty two, and on Monday we have the contestants: Ellen Pratt, a strategic projects director from Boston, Massachusetts; Joe Chu, a student from Las Vegas, Nevada; and Christine Welchel a piano teacher and church organist from Spring Hill, Tennessee, whose three-day cash winnings total $59,601. And we have the Jeopardy! round categories, American History, Sports by Their Honors, Small Adjectives, Two-Word Book Titles, Kickin' It, and Old School. The $400 clue in Kickin' It okay the clue is a dance kick where you change legs in the air or a swimming kick used as part of a side stroke uh it was a triple stumper which i thought was interesting that no one no one knew that term Mm -hmm. uh but ken said it's a scissors kick scissor
1: kick scissor scissor kick kick.
0: i have i was a swimming teacher that is my source yeah me too i have never heard it in the plural, I have never heard it scissors, which doesn't matter. This does not matter at all, but Mm-mm. it, like, I don't know. It mm-hmm. ruffled my feathers when he said, well, that's a scissors kick. Like, No, it's not yes. a scissors kick. Mm-hmm. It's a scissor kick, because you scissor yeah. your legs. Yes. They're, like, they're called <laughs> scissors because of the movement they make, not because we made up a word for them, and now everything that moves in that pattern should be called a scissors. Come on, Ken. Yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Daily Double number one is in the American History category. It comes up really early. Um, Christine finds it at the second pick at the $400 level. She is at $200, and uh, she's the only one who's gotten a clue correct. So Joe and Ellen are at 0 And she wagers a 1,000, as well she should, and gets the clue five years before his famous ride. Paul Revere made a print depicting this bloody March 5th, 1770 event. And she knows that one is the Boston Massacre. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy! round, uh, Christine's in a really solid lead with 8,400. Joe is at 200, Ellen's at 2,600. And we have the double Jeopardy! categories, Colors in Nature, Around the World, the pickle barrel letters from famous people backing bands and homophone to the letter which turned out to be i, I was having a hard time parsing the category there mm-hmm. but those were homophones of letters of the alphabet such as the word b mm-hmm. which is a homophone with the letter b
0: mm-hmm. they had some trouble in the backing bands category which yeah. made sense those weren't those are a bit more obscure than your then your typical ones they knew the J.B.'s backed up James Brown and Mm -hmm. uh, the Tennessee Three backed up Johnny Cash which really I didn't didn't remember that they were called the Tennessee Three but the clue mentioned that he famously went to prison. Famously went went to prison yes. Yeah Johnny Cash Um, but the other one's not exactly a stupid answer this group originally known as the Hawks took some of the weight off Dylan in the 1960s that's just the band Mm -hmm. that's the band than the $1,600 clue, despite the name, the group that backed up Frank Zappa was made up of men, not moms. That's the Mothers of Invention. If you've not spent time listening to Frank Zappa and the Mothers I of Invention, take a little bit of time. Just a little bit. Doesn't need okay. to be a lot, but interesting music. Good quality, interesting music.
1: Someday I'll go back through your uh, all your recommendations you've made of things i should be listening to and listen to more of them oh there's so
0: much music oh there's there's there's, there's a lot of music so, in the world there's more music you could than you could possibly listen to mm-hmm. so listen to what you like and if you don't li- and if if people suggest things and you never get around to it that's totally fine because if you're listening to what you like then that's that's all that matters
1: yeah right now i mostly listen to what my kids like you know
0: amen I know. They like a
1: song about breakfast burritos. And they like the song from The Carousel of Progress in Disney World.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's an eclectic mix in our house. <laughs> it it is classic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I liked the whole pickle category. It
0: it was it was good.
1: Yeah. It was fun. And the two thousand dollar level um was a was a Shakespeare clue about the Tempest, which just sort of highlighted that. To be in a pickle used to mean to be drunk. Mm-hmm. We've mostly lost that, although occasionally I feel like I feel like there are a couple of idioms, like using like pickled. But yeah, I think these days in a pickle I think refers to like a conundrum or like a like a difficult situation.
0: Right. Which I wonder the the kind of like trajectory of the etymology for the situation in baseball when you're in a pickle. Mm-hmm. you're caught in between bases yeah and i, I wonder which hmm. how that yeah, came I to wonder. be called that or if that inspired the term or what but
1: i also, I also liked seeing knowing corny shaw the, the little pickles with the french name mm-hmm. uh being a thing that that got ellen 1600 bucks on jeopardy yeah um yeah it's one of those one of those things where um you never anticipate being it being an important trivia thing.
0: Right. Daily double number two is in the around the world category at the sixteen hundred dollar level. It's pick number seven in the round, and Ellen finds it. She's at forty six hundred. Christine is at eighty eight hundred, and Joe's at negative one thousand. She wagers sixteen hundred, the value of the clue. I would have tried to take the lead there. Uh, she gets a clue: eleven thousand two hundred foot Mount Kusi in northern Chad is the highest summit in this area of more than 3 million square miles. And she gets that correct with what is the Sahara Desert. I thought it was a bit easy for a $1,600 clue. but
1: Yeah, to the point where I was like, well, it can't be the Sahara Desert. Yeah. Not at this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, but it was.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and Daily Double number three is at the $1,200 level of letters from famous people. And Christine finds this one as the 11th pick. She's at 10,000. Um, Ellen's at 4,200. Joe's at negative 1,000. And Christine wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. This Irish poet's great love, Maud Gonne, addressed him in letters as my dear Willie. Um, so she needed to come up with an Irish poet named William. Um, and she said who she said who is Keats. Uh, she was, as Ken said, off by one letter. Uh, they were looking for William Butler Yeats here. Yes. We've talked about that being a um, something that y- that you get mixed up on and that I think is a pretty common kind of mix up.
0: Yes. But no longer since you're important Williams mm. in poetry.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: Yes. Uh, So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Christine is at 11,800, Ellen's at 7,000, and Joe just could not get himself out of the red. Uh, So he is not around for Final Jeopardy. We have the Final Jeopardy category, Modern War. And the clue, called the longest siege of a capital in modern history, the assault on this city lasted from 1992 to 1996. Ellen guessed what is Kuwait City? which, if you're thinking of wars in the 90s, Kuwait makes sense, uh, but I'm fairly certain the Persian Gulf did not last that long. Uh, And she wagered 5,500. That was incorrect. Uh, Christine got it correct with what is Sarajevo, and uh, wagered 22.01. Made a cover bet, so she wins with 14,001.
1: Yes. And on Tuesday, March 1st, we have the contestants Stefan Stenros, uh, technical trainer from Aliso Viejo, California, Margaret Shelton, a homemaker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Christine Welchel, a piano teacher and church organist from Spring Hill, Tennessee, whose four-day cash winnings total 73602 And we have the Jeopardy! round categories, educators, military memoirs, past your prime, each correct response will come shortly after the word prime in the dictionary, remembering Stephen Sondheim, who could forget Stephen Sondheim really? Uh, Sunday in the Park and With Gorge. This was recorded not too long after Stephen Sondheim died. Um, so probably the probably the clues were written
0: very shortly after. I would say uh, sort so. of a tribute. Yeah. Yeah. Because it hasn't been that long.
1: Right. He died in January, and we're we're, uh, we're talking about a game that aired in early March.
0: Yeah, so... Um.
1: And they just issued, Jeopardy just issued, like, a clarification. I have not actually, um as we're recording, I haven't yet seen the Friday game, but I guess there was some sort of Russia-Ukraine reference Right. that they recorded in January, and it, and it didn't, uh... It hits different.
0: At this point, yeah.
1: At this point, yeah.
0: The $1,000 clue of With Gorge was a triple stumper. America's highest suspension bridge Royal Gorge Bridge, is seen here. They showed a picture 956 feet above the Arkansas River in this state. And that's Colorado. I've been to the Royal Gorge a couple of times. I do not mm. like that bridge. Yeah, I looked at it and was like, mm, no thank you. I do not do well with heights. That bridge does not do well with me. <laughs> I mean, it's safe. You're not in danger. You can you can walk across it and drive across it if you really want to, but uh, it's perfectly safe. But, man... And my kids were just, like, having a grand old time, just, like, running along and hopping and skipping and, like, going up to the edge and, like, you know, standing next against the fence. And I'm just, like, oh, 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 the whole time. Yeah. But I'm also um, not trying to teach them to be afraid of it. So, like. Mm-hmm, uh, yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bridges freak me out a little bit. Tunnels, if I think about them.
0: Yeah, don't think about tunnels when you're in a <laughs> Tunnels tunnel. you have to
1: just not think about. Bridges, it's <laughs> hard to not
0: think about. Right. The uh, $800 clue in educators, Bolivian emigre Jaime Escalante's dedication to teaching calculus to quote-unquote unteachable LA kids was featured in this 1988 film. Margaret guessed what is Dangerous Minds, which I guess is about teaching kids, but that's Stand and Deliver. Uh, Stefan got that. Uh, my calculus teacher in high school liked to do a thing called Stand and Deliver, where she would... Call your name, you stand up, and then she has you. Then she just asks you to recite a formula or a thing on the spot. And if you don't, then you get an F for that pop quiz.
1: Oh no! It was
0: nerve wracking and terrible.
1: Oh no! And then you went on to be on Jeopardy.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they didn't ask about calculus. (laughs) So that. That that title means something different to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, so I, yeah, I I I I couldn't tell you how what it means in that case, but
0: uh, daily double number one is the next clue down in that educators category. It's a thousand dollar level. Pick number five. Uh, Stefan finds it. He is at eight hundred. Christina's at zero. Margaret's at negative eight hundred. And Ken tells him he can wager up to a thousand. And he says, I've always wanted to say, make it a true daily double. And Ken was like, so you're wagering 800. (laughs) Just to be clear, (laughs) like that's what you're wagering, not up to a thousand. And he said, yeah. So he wagered 800. And the clue was the schools founded by this woman date back to 1907 when she opened her first Casa de Bambini, a children's house for those two to six. And he gets a correct with who is Montessori. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Christine is at 3,400. Margaret has moved into the lead at 4,800. And Stefan is at 3,000. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, Cause of Death, Blissful Stanzas, Antonyms, Feeling Sheepish, Esteemed Men of Italy, and TV Shows by Final Episode. Which, the first two clues in that category, you just had to expect.
1: Yeah.
0: Four hundred dollar clue. This had come in nineteen ninety three. One for the road. That's Cheers. Nobody guessed that. Which I mean, the the Cheers finale is like just kind of one to know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the eight hundred, luring over one hundred million viewers in nineteen eighty three. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Margaret got that. That's MASH. But I believe MASH still holds the record for the most watched finale.
1: Yeah, I didn't know the episode titles actually before i saw them but you know it's sort of, they sort of matched up well enough that i was able to guess those without being like oh yes of course that's the episode of the you know that that's mm-hmm. the t- title of the final episode um i did actually know the title of the final episode for the 1200 clue felina in 2013 that's breaking bad oh and i didn't remember the title but was able to uh to put together the 2000 clue putting the final nail in the coffin in 2005 Everyone's Waiting. Uh, That one was a triple stumper. That's uh, the final episode of Six Feet Under, um, which was a great final episode. That series had great moments and then moments where I felt like it sort of lost its way, but the the last episode
0: was awesome. Didn't, I haven't watched it. Oh, so good.
1: I guess a little far-fetched for some some segments, but good show. Um, We left... 3 clues on the
0: board mm-hmm. in this round and no video clues. Yeah. I guess it just took a while.
1: Ken gave us a few sort of extended explanations. He got a little got a little didactic on some of those. Yeah. I thought the uh, $1600 level of antonyms was a funny incorrect response um the clue there was if you want to own a green snake you have these two species as options your choice will affect your petting experience and Stefan tried what is venomous and non-venomous um (laughs) and Ken responded that would affect your petting experience um but they, they were looking for the rough green snake and the smooth green snake yeah. Uh daily double number 2 is in blissful stanzas at the $800 level and Christine finds it as the 12th pick. She has 6600 at this point, to Margaret's 7200 and Stefan's 4200, uh, she wagers 2000 and gets the clue. Vivaldi published poems with this 1725 work. One began, Spring Has Arrived with Joy, Welcomed by the Birds with Happy Songs. And she figures that one out. It's The Four Seasons.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. She is a musician. Like, mm-hmm. Hopefully, she would know The Four Seasons. Yeah, you would think. And that is what we refer to as program music. Meaning it is music that connects its meaning to something outside of the music itself.
1: I was trying to remember that term earlier today when I was trying to explain Fantasia to my kids. There you go. Yeah.
0: It is program music or programmatic.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. I uh, searched for that term for a while and did not come up with it.
0: (laughs) Uh, And daily double number three is in the esteemed men of Italy category at the $1,200 level, Christina, Christine finds this one as well, pick number 15, uh, she's at 8600 she just made some money, Margaret's at 7200 and Stefan's at 5400 and she wagers another 2000 and gets the clue. This director is seen here with Marcello Mostriani, who often played an on-screen version of the filmmaker, uh, and she guessed who is Coppola, but that is Federico Fellini. The only Italian director that I could ever name. <laughs> I mean, I guess C- Coppola is like Italian American, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Margaret has taken the lead with 13,600. Uh, Christine's at 10,600. Stefan's at 1,800. And we have the final Jeopardy category the silver screen and the clue. He was the first actor to star in three films that won the Oscar for Best Picture, those of 1934, 1935, and 1939. We go to Stefan first. Uh, He has Who is Clark Gable? And that is correct. He's wagered all but a dollar, bringing him up to $35.99. At this point, Ken conducts a pop quiz. Yeah, it was
0: weird, but also kind of cool.
1: It was kind of fun, but also like...
0: I can't imagine being on... stage for that him yeah. being like here's some extra questions off the cuff <laughs> being like oh, oh, no oh, money oh. for
1: these ones just all the just all the home viewers judging you yeah <laughs> um, yeah so he, he wants to know who can name the three movies gone with the wind it happened one night and mutiny on the bounty uh they do they do manage to come up with all of them they um do. yeah But I just I sort of had a moment of being like, oh, no, like, what if I what if I had like a vague inkling that it was Clark Gable, but couldn't quite like back it up with anything? And then all of a sudden, Ken Jennings is like, and now on national TV, tell me what the three movies
0: are, Right.
1: (laughs) you know, anyway, Christine also has who is Clark Gable. uh, She's wagered 4000, bringing her up up to 14,600. And uh, Margaret has the re- correct response with who is Clark Gable. Um, she did not make a cover bet. No. Um, she bets three thousand. Um, which brings her up to sixteen thousand six hundred. But it's enough. So yeah. that gives her the win.
0: Yeah. Risky, but yeah, paid off.
1: When somebody makes a bet like that, I I never know whether they don't know betting strategy, or whether they are trying to, like, make a savvy guess about what the person in second place is going to actually do, right? Like, yeah. make a second-order bet, right? Because, like, the normal betting strategy is to act as if the person in second place is about to go all in,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: they shouldn't. They shouldn't do that, generally. Because they... the
0: person in first place is probably going to do a cover bet. Right. And um, so, <laughs> yeah.
1: And so then when the first person in first place doesn't do a cover bet, you're like, are you playing 3D chess or do you not know how this works? I'm not really sure which one, you know, it worked. Right. So, you know, you won. Um, yeah. So, so maybe it was 3D chess or maybe it was just luck.
0: Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. The result is the same. So
1: yeah, it's not, it's not actually 3D chess. That's a. That's a whole different. Yeah. But the, the metaphor
0: holds. I sure. hope. Yeah. Yeah. Someone will let us know if it doesn't, I'm sure. Yep. And Ken says, uh, this I don't think this is the last we'll see of Christine, which she only won four games. Yeah, but I think maybe maybe since they have already decided when the next tournament of champions is,
1: mm, he might
0: know something about. Like like she's probably she's very likely to get a spot just given the number of games left and the number of spots that there are. Still yeah. available I don't know I would have to I don't know it just occurred to me so I haven't looked into it or like tried to figure that out but mm-hmm. anyway on Wednesday we have the contestants Ujal Faktor, a director of strategy from Calgary Alberta, Canada, Christy Bauer, a writer and legal assistant originally from Louisville, Kentucky, and Margaret Shelton, a homemaker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania whose one day cash winnings total sixteen thousand six hundred dollars. And we have the Jeopardy! round categories, one-syllable cities, fits and starts. You can set your calendar by it. The man in the director's chair, complete the opera title, and wise words with wise and quotation marks. Christy did very well with the opera category.
1: Yeah, she did!
0: Which is cool. The only one she didn't get uh, was the $600 clue uh, by Gluck Orfeo Ed blank uh margaret got it with she said you and uh ken really leaned into the like the italianization of it as mm-hmm. he pronounced it "euridice" in response to her yeah like
1: it's enough to know how to pronounce it in right
0: like Greek-ish. The, the greek ish yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
1: you don't need to know how italians pronounce greek names it's fine right one syllable cities we had that category when we played jeopardy did we yeah i think i don't even Didn't remember. We? hold um, on i think that's think that's where we had can and soul um, oh yeah
0: that would make sense did i get any of those i don't remember
1: i think you got flint because i was mad about
0: it oh yeah probably
1: yeah yeah, yeah one syllable cities you got rome also ah uh, and you got oh, I was even madder when you got forms. Oh, that's right. That
0: was the that was the category with yeah, with forms. And, and yeah. then all of
1: my all of my like former like religious history professors were like, I didn't teach you about Martin Luther and I was like, you did.
0: I it just didn't get in on the buzzer. I know like there's plenty I know. It's not
1: like they call on whoever knows it the best.
0: Or right. <laughs> whoever has like the most reason to know it.
1: <laughs> Before I can decide who who got in first on the buzzer, I need to know which of you have written a paper about this. Check your transcripts. Yeah. yeah, that that's not how that works. Uh, daily Double number one is in you can set your calendar by it at the four hundred dollar level. And Ujo finds it at the uh, third pick. He has 400. Um, Margaret and Christy are still both at zero. He wagers 1,000 and gets the clue, often confused with locusts. These insects occur in chronological broods of 13 and 17 years. Gets that one correct. Uh, It's cicadas.
0: Didn't we just have a big cicada brood last year? We
1: did, yes. I didn't see a lot of cicadas, but I um, saw some, some photos and some videos from people who had like whole cicada situations.
0: (laughs) Cicada situation is my favorite alt rock band.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. It's like, no, thank you. All set. Thanks. I'd rather, rather cross that bridge we just talked about. Right. (laughs) Cicada shells. If you ever cross come across them, like they are alarming. I've, yes. I've come, uh, the first one I came across, I was like, "There's some sort of sci-fi movie happening here in my yard." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, Margaret's in the lead with sixty-six hundred. Christie's at sixteen hundred. Uchals at fifty-two hundred. And we have the double Jeopardy categories: famous pairs, uh, pair like P E R E, father, um, road trip. Her Emmy-winning role, acronyms, books within books, and medicine with Emmy in quotation marks. I loved the books within books category.
0: Yeah, that one was pretty good.
1: Oh, it was a great, was a great category. We had a uh, clue about the amazing Amy books uh, mentioned within this uh, Gillian Flynn thriller. Although, although can pronounce her name Gillian. Um, that's from Gone Girl. Oh, they put the wrong title for mm. the John Green book. And at the $800 level, we had in this author's A Fault in Our Stars. It is the fault, The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, Hazel is mesmerized while reading An Imperial Affliction. And they were looking for John Green. We've talked about John Green many times because I never miss an opportunity. <laughs> to talk about
0: John Green. <laughs> <It> certainly <laughs> yeah. seems that way.
1: Yeah. But oh my gosh, uh, at the $1,600 level, in in a Michael Enda tale, Young Bastion steals this title book and reads of Atreyu and the World of Fantastica. Mm-hmm. That is the never-ending story. And I read my copy until the cover fell off. The movie also was great. The movie is a very different experience than the book. Anyway, great category. <laughs> yeah. Love a book within a book. Um, we had a weird reversal at the $1,600 level of acronyms. Mm-hmm. The clue was the mnemonic Roy G. Biv, just Roy's last name. And Ujal rang in and said, what is battle in vain? I think Ken looked a little perplexed and ruled him wrong. And then Christy rang in and said, what is blue indigo violet? And then uh, that was accepted. And then after a while, maybe before the next Daily Double or something.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, they came back and gave credit to Ujal because... Battle in Vain is the end of a mnemonic for the colors of the rainbow. I'm not familiar with that particular mnemonic.
0: Oh, it's... What is it? Richard of York gave Battle in Vain. Okay. Which, honestly, I feel like that's harder to remember (laughs) (laughs) than just Roy G. Biff.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess... Like, people have different capacity to, to, like, to visualize, but I have a hard time imagining not being able to, like, know which color is next to which in a rainbow, you know? Yeah. But I guess, I mean, if a mnemonic exists, somebody must have needed it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I think they decided that the way the clue was phrased could make you think that they were asking for the conclusion of the mnemonic device rather than what the device points to right
0: yeah it was not clear that it that they wanted the colors Mm-hmm. yeah daily double number two is in the medicine category at the twelve hundred dollar level margaret finds it she is at fifteen thousand eight hundred christy is at eight thousand and ujal is at ten thousand eight hundred and uh she wagers three thousand and gets the clue the primary type of this is without aura and may include sensitivity to light. And she gets that correct with what is migraine.
1: Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in the road trip category, at the twelve hundred dollar level. And Margaret finds this one as well at the twenty seventh pick. Um, she has twenty thousand eight hundred to Christie's eight thousand. Ujal is at. And Ujal's 14,800. She wagers 3,000. And her clue here is vital during World War II. This road runs from Kunming, China, to Lashio in Myanmar. I don't know how to pronounce those place names, but uh, hopefully I wasn't too far off. She tries, she says the Silk Road, but it's not right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it's not. She she has like a very sort of soft spoken like uh, sort of mild mannered way about her, mm-hmm. uh, which I think Ken was, Ken was sort of tickled by. Uh, anyway, it's it's not right. The Burma Road is what they were looking for here.
0: So at the end of the double jeopardy round, she's still in the lead at nineteen thousand four hundred. Christie is at seventy six hundred. Nujal is at fourteen thousand four hundred. They get the final Jeopardy category: art museums, and the clue: before its 1959 opening, 21 artists protests. Yeah, uh, 21 artists protested its design, saying it would make paintings look tilted and askew. Uh, and they all three got it correct. Christy wrote, "What is the Guggenheim, uh, which is the art museum in question? It has a ra- a spiraling ramp around the inside of the mm-hmm. museum. Yes, it does." And Christy wagered everything. So she doubles up. Ujal also got it correct and wagered 6,801. Uh, but Margaret also got it correct with a cover bet of... No, not a cover bet. With not a cover bet. Not a cover bet. With not, another not a cover bet. Uh, 5,000, which put her up to 24,400. That's not a cover bet. So if Ujjal had gone all in or bet more than a, more than 10,000, mm-hmm.
1: he'd have won. Yeah. Um, if you are sitting... Mm-hmm. In the waiting contestants section and watching these games play out, you should really take note of what's happening.
0: Yeah, Margaret does not make cover bets, so bet big if you're mm-hmm. in second.
1: Yep. On Thursday, March 3, we have the contestants. Louis De La Perita, an EMT from Cranston, Rhode Island. Apparently, I'm not willing to attempt... Uh, Dorchester pronunciation of Dorchester but I will attempt Cranston Uh, Uh, Ryan Pressman uh, a musician from Canoga Park, California and Margaret Shelton a homemaker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania whose two day cash winnings total 41,000 and we have the Jeopardy round categories Detroit News Clues presented by the news team at WDIV four syllable words Earth Science Getting Down to Business What's my name and Beatles love songs with love in quotation marks. Uh, you need to name the song based on the lyrics
0: provided. We had a nice, uh, nice, nice clue in the Detroit category at the $600 level. They showed a picture on October 3rd, 1997, the international hockey leagues, Detroit Vipers welcomed a new teammate playing in his sixth decade. This 69 year old X red wing Alex Trebek's hero took a 46-second shift in his very last pro game. Margaret got it. That's Gordy Howe. Alex loved talking about Gordy Howe. Mm-hmm.
1: I was not paying attention to the to the Jeopardy clues so much just now because I was trying to reassure myself that the Cranston accent is a thing, and in fact, Conan O'Brien had a whole bit about the Cranston accent being the worst accent in the world. <laughs>
0: i don't Um, think i know
1: it yeah it's it's uh it is in many ways similar to other kind of massachusetts new england kinds of accents it's a little more nasal Mm. um yeah okay could i just i mean i try not i try not to be this guy but uh at the 800 hundred dollar level of four syllable words this verb often used before last rites ends with a type of holy man
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They were looking for administer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a minister
0: mm-hmm. is what
1: I am, mm-hmm. and I'm not a holy man. You're not. I mean, I, I'm like, I mean, man, right? Like, it's it, it could be more gender inclusive, but I will not be that guy today, except right now. <laughs> except for right now, what <laughs> right I am. Right now, I'm going to be that guy.
0: <laughs> sure. Um. Yeah. No, they
1: they they could do better there.
0: Yeah. The use of the term "holy man" was not necessary. Yeah, it did, it did not make the clue more gettable than "holy person" or "person of the cloth" or
1: yep, "person of the cloth" would be a like, great yeah, uh, great substitution there. I liked the "what's my name" category. It was um, mostly sort of common nouns, common what is it? Compound nouns, patty melt, right? Like. It's a it's a cheeseburger on rye, bet, rye bread, but it has the name Patty in it. Um, mm-hmm.
0: th- those kinds of things. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, Tommy Gun came up recently in Learned League too.
1: Yeah, I didn't know it then either. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> whoops! I've learned nothing.
0: <laughs> well, no, it's been twice, so maybe yep. maybe it'll stick.
1: Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get it the third time.
0: Yeah. Uh, daily double number one is in the earth science category at the $600 dollar level it's pick number eight uh, Ryan finds it who by the way did a very uh very impassioned dance in his intro uh, if you can find that on Twitter I'm sure you sure you can he was at 2600 Margaret was at 400 and Louis Lewis was at negative 400 and he wagered 600 only. I just, you gotta go for it, man. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess it ended up working out. He got the clue. Icebergs and glaciers go through this bovine process in which large chunks dramatically break off. And he has no response, but that is calving. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So he does only lose 600, so I guess it ended up being an okay wager. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Margaret is at 4,600, Ryan's in the lead at 5,200, and Lewis is at 3,800. So it's a fairly close game. We get the Double Jeopardy categories, 1972, 50 years ago. Stop it! Yep, no, that's incorrect. Esperanto Film Festival. You have to give the film title in English from the Esperanto. Arts News, Fibers and Fabrics, Book Characters, and Eponyms and Toponyms. Uh-huh.
1: Ken not wanting to read the Esperanto clues (laughs) was, it might have just been a bit, or maybe not. Either way, I thought it was hilarious.
0: Yeah, it was fun. I don't know how many Esperanto speakers there are. I mean... Because it's, I don't want to say a made-up language, but it's not a native language to any place, right?
1: Yeah, no, it was It was like, I think, wasn't it like created with the intention of trying to make like a easily learnable kind of based on the romance languages, like, you know, sort of shareable language, like yeah. like a sort of a utopian bit like, you know, like, let, let me like create the perfect language or like not the perfect language, but like a, you know, kind of a, a, a constructed like lingua franca, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is it it is the world's most widely spoken constructed international auxiliary language, says Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody grows up speaking Esperanto, but that was that was a it was it was a fun category. Yeah. And you know, and nobody is, I think, expected to like know actual Esperanto, but because it is um, sort of based on Romance language roots, uh, you know, so it's. It, based roughly on you know latin spanish italian french like you should be you you may be able to look at some of these things and kind of be like well that looks sort of like this other word that i that i know from this or that um yeah and they did okay with them they got three of the five uh Daily Double number two is in the 1972, just a minute ago category. It's 50 (laughs) years ago Um, uh, at the $2,000 level. And uh, Lewis finds it as the sixth pick. And uh, he has $7,800 at this point. Margaret's at 4,600. Ryan's at 5,600. Lewis wagers 2000 and gets the clue. The U.S. returned the Ryukyu Islands to Japan, including this largest one, site of a bloody World War II campaign. He tried what is Guadalcanal? Um, They were looking for Okinawa.
0: And Daily Double number three is in the arts news category at the $1,200 level. Let's pick number 23. Uh, Ryan finds it. He's at 7,200, Margaret's at 6,200, Lewis is at 8,600, and he bets it all. Must feel much better about art than he does about earth science. Mm -hmm. He gets the clue. In 2021, Gary Avis danced Virgil in a Royal Opera House production commemorating the 700th anniversary of this poet's death. And he gets it correct with who is Dante Alighieri. Mhm.
1: He he seemed sort of like celebratory as he asked for the next uh next clue in the same uh, same category of arts news but nobody got the next the next two. No.
0: Um, <laughs> kind of brought him back down to earth. Yeah. With a couple of triple summers.
1: <laughs> yeah. That happens. Yeah. Um so at the end of the double jeopardy round, uh Ryan's in the lead with 14,800, Margaret's at 8600, Lewis is at 8200, and we have the Final Jeopardy! category, European Cities. And the clue, Pizzo, means protection money. The Audio Pizzo movement was founded in this city in 2004. Lewis tries, what is Palermo? He's wagered 8,000. Um, Palermo is correct. Uh, so that, yeah, that brings him up to 16,200. And Margaret also has the correct response with what is Palermo. Uh, she has wagered every single dollar. Uh, $8,600, bring her, bringing her up to 17200 Ryan has what? Mill. He's maybe heading for uh, like Milan, Milan, I guess.
0: Probably, yeah.
1: Uh, that's obviously not correct. He's wagered 2401 dropping him down to $12,399. Uh, so that drops him into third place. And Margaret pulls off a third win. That's right. Oh.
0: And on Friday, we have the contestants, Adrian Alcala, a software developer from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Caitlin McHale, a university marketing manager from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Margaret Shelton, a homemaker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose three-day cash winnings total $58,200. And we have the Jeopardy! Round categories, Sam's Club, History, now we are 6 transportation the elements of literature and all the way from d to e words starting with d and ending with e
1: Yep Adrian really struggled through the beginning of this round Yeah I felt very bad for him
0: He had a, he had a number of number of swings and misses
1: Yeah just just like and and with no gets at first to uh, to offset them. Yeah. So he had a miss at the $400 level of history and then another one at the $1,000 level of history and then another one at the $200 level of elements of literature and then at the $400 level of that same category. And then he finally on the 11th clue uh, got his first correct answer. And started working his way out of the hole. Um, yeah. But that many, that many swings and misses, it, t- it takes several clues. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly, I mean, you know, we, we say often, you know, everyone, everyone passes the same test, but also I felt like some of his incorrect guesses, he was overthinking or misinterpreting, you know, and like clearly mm-hmm. was bringing like a depth of knowledge to the clue, and you know, some some combination of stage fright, and overthinking, and you know what, yeah. and then once you're once you're panicking, that can it's, make it even more challenging.
0: Yeah, it's hard to get out of at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he did manage to eventually. Yeah, no, he did. He, he turned it around. But,
1: yes, yes, he did.
0: I'm sure everyone has seen by now that the Jeopardy writers uh, misgendered. Sam Smith and the Sam's Club at the $800 level in 2015. Mm. They wrote, he took home four Grammys, including one for the song Stay With Me. Uh, Sam Smith uh, is non-binary, uses they, them.
1: I thought that was the case, although I don't know pop music well enough to see that and immediately say, oh no, the writers made an error there. Mm -hmm. But J Archive notes it.
0: Yes. As did many people in the Twitterverse. Mm.
1: Daily Double number one comes up in the history category at the $600 level, and it is the third pick. Margaret finds it. She has just 200, having correctly responded to the $200 level of that category. Caitlin is at zero, and Adrian has missed the 400, so is neg- at negative 400. Margaret wagers a thousand and gets the clue built by a Ming dynasty emperor. This place is so named because most people in the empire were denied access and she gets it correct. It's the forbidden city. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Margaret is in the lead with 7,200. Caitlin has exactly half her score. That's very pleasing with 3,600. Adrian has made it out of the red and is at 2,200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories bordering Russia. Pop culture pairs, genus and species, signs and symbols, unusual words, and Arthurian legend and
0: history. That bordering Russia category. We ended up leaving two on the board there. Yep. Uh, Yeah. The $400 clue was innocuous enough. Gobi isn't. It's Gobi Desert means waterless place in the language of this landlocked nation. That's Mongolia. Margaret got that. And then the eight hundred dollar clue: the Kerch Strait, along with serious border issues, separates Russia from this country on the Black Sea. Adrian got it. That's Ukraine. And they put uh, up in the corner as that clue aired, uh, recorded on January eleventh,
1: twenty twenty-two. Yep. They also uh, tweeted, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, put on their on their other social media just like a simple announcement that the clue regarding Russia and Ukraine was recorded on January 11th.
0: Yeah, which uh just prompted all 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 manner of people to to come out against wokeness and snowflakes and whatever. And it's like
1: This is not a wokeness and snowflake issue.
0: Yeah, it's just like, like hey, there's a war happening now that wasn't happening when this was recorded. Just we're just pointing that out.
1: That's not it's not a woke thing. Yeah. At, all. at all at all I mean, I saw some of the same stuff like i i am i' am, i I, yeah, I saw it yeah
0: it's mind boggling how quickly it's and it's those people who are like they're the ones complaining about people getting upset when it's like you you're you're the one getting upset about the stupid things, why are you worried about this I, I don't know yeah oh, okay, I don't want to talk about it anymore, then they followed that up with the twelve hundred dollar clue. I've got this nation on the Black Sea on my mind, along with Mount Kazbek, an extinct volcano. That's one of its highest points. Uh, That's Georgia, which also faced some Russian aggression in 2008. So Mm -hmm. they weren't really shying away from those countries. (laughs) Of course, I guess if you border Russia, that's kind of par for the course. Mm -hmm. Daily Double number 2 is pick number two in the round. Uh, Margaret finds it. It's at the $800 level of Arthurian legend and history. So the scores aren't terribly different. Margaret got the 400. So they're the same as they were at the break. Uh, And she makes it a true daily double. Ken is surprised. She says, I mean, this is my shot, right? Which she says that kind of like, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but she has been extremely modest in her wagers (laughs) up to this point. So like, that's why it's surprising. Um, But she must know Arthurian legend. She probably listened to your deep dive. That must be it. Uh, So the clue is the figure best known by this name appears in some versions as Ambrosius, a prophet and advisor to King Vortigern. And she gets it correct with who is Merlin. Mm
1: -hmm. A little later, she uh, recognized the, um, the symbol associated with Hermes, which is an emblem of the medical profession and also a sign of peace. And we've talked about that on the podcast a bunch of times. It's called the caduceus. She probably didn't learn that from the podcast, but maybe she did.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let us know if you're a listener, uh, Margaret. But probably knows that because she just knows things.
1: Yep. How did I know that anguilliform means eel... Like or eel shaped. I mean, it says slippery creatures, mm-hmm. but like, I have no earthly idea how. Like, I mean, there there are a number of slippery creatures in the world, right? Like, you could say, oh, like fish or worms or you know whatever, and like somehow I knew I was like, oh well, but that root word means eel, and then I was like, how do I know a root word that means eel? <laughs> so I still don't know when that got into my brain, but. I don't know. I guess there are, there are things in there. Yeah, <laughs> there are things
0: in your brain. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I don't think so.
1: There, are, there are things in my brain for which I I cannot account at all. Um, yeah, that happens. Yeah, oh, it does. Uh, Daily double number three is at the sixteen hundred dollar level of genus and species, and Adrian finds this one as the twenty first pick. He has eleven thousand. Margaret's up at twenty one thousand six hundred. Caitlin's at forty eight hundred. And Adrian wagers all but a thousand. He bets ten thousand. He's looking to almost catch up with Margaret. Um, this is the right move, I think. I agree. He gets the clue. Varan is Arabic for the monitor lizard. This largest member of the genus Varanus can weigh three hundred fifty pounds and kill with its bite. He does not know this one. You can see it, um, and he's trying to come up with a viable guess. He's just about out of time, and Ken prompts him to, you know, to say something, and he tries what is Crocodile. That is not correct. Uh, this is the Komodo Dragon. Yep. That is, that's a bummer. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it's the right move. Yeah. Because she she was very close to a lock position anyway, if he didn't make that move. So.
1: Yeah. I knew this one because um, there are some uh, Komodo dragons prominently on display at the Bronx Zoo, which is mm-hmm. the zoo closest to us, like a like a 15-minute drive from my house. It's a great place.
0: We also some, have some at the Denver Zoo. Nice. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round... Margaret is at 24,000 in a lock position. Caitlin is at 5,600, and Adrian is at 4,600. They get the final Jeopardy category literary characters and the clue. Dostoevsky wrote that this title man in an earlier European novel is, quote, beautiful only because he is ridiculous. That was a, this is a tough one. It was a triple stumper, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, Adrian wrote, Who is Prince Mishkin? Which apparently is on the right track, but that is incorrect. And he wagered Mm 4,600. Caitlin wrote, Who is Dorian Gray? which came to mind, but I'm pretty sure Dorian Gray was written later. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like the timeline doesn't work there. Mm -hmm. And she wagered 3,601. And Margaret wrote, Who is Candide? which is what I finally settled on, even though I wasn't too confident. That's also incorrect. And she wager 2500. That's Don Quixote.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to try Cyrano de Bergerac.
0: Yeah, I thought something like that like because beautiful is an interesting choice of word. Yeah. You know, as a as an author writing about another book, sure. That makes sense. But for a Jeopardy clue, beautiful points in a certain direction and I the beautiful does not come to mind when I think of Don Quixote. Mhm. Yeah. So, Margaret Wins her fourth game.
1: I, I like her kind of mild-mannered, like, sort of hyper-polite uh, yeah. vibe mixed with just, like, just crushing through four wins. Yeah. Um It's great. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a great juxtaposition.
0: That, yeah, I agree. It's, it's fun. So that's the end of the week. We will see her back on Monday to see if she can hit that five-game threshold. And now is the time that we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can go there to check out a bit of exclusive content if you choose to be a donor, a patron. And you can slide us a few bucks to help support the podcast. The offset the cost of, of uh, making this happen. Uh, and if... As we've mentioned every week for a very long time, if uh, supporting us financially for the podcast is not a big priority to you, we still encourage you to uh, direct your attention and your dollars uh, to a variety of, of uh, resources that can help out the world around you. We, we talk about BlackLivesMatter.com, CommunityJusticeExchange.org. Uh, the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe page, and also more recently... uh, Humanitarian Aid in Ukraine? Mm. HumanitarianAidInUkraineRescue.org would be good. Good good link. Yes.
1: I have been reminded recently um, that there are all kinds of kind of pop-up ideas of uh, getting funds to Ukraine, but that in a war situation. Things where you're trying to get electronic funds directly into the hands of individuals may not function as well as they would um, otherwise. And so like Airbnb and Etsy and so on, they may not be your friends here. A big international organization that knows how to do this is maybe not the most glamorous, but they know how to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially if they've been doing it. And and you know they're trustworthy. Yes. There are some that uh, most of your money does not go to the that's the same true are that trying to yep. trying okay. to help so um, but as far as as far as we understand and we could be wrong as far as we understand rescue.org is a good yep. a good good place to go. Mm-hmm. All right, Emily.
1: All right. It's been a
0: bit. What are we talking about?
1: Are we talking about Charles Schultz?
0: We are not talking about Charles Schultz. Okay, are we talking about Okinawa? We are not talking about Okinawa.
1: Okay. What about Volta.
0: Ooh, I even looked at Volta. Uh but I decided not to go with Alessandro Volta.
1: Okay, what are we doing?
0: Uh, I had a I had a few I I it it came it came down to like a toss up between three things. Alessandro Volta, Frank Zappa, or what I actually landed on, which was Don Quixote. Oh nice. So uh I've never read Don Quixote and this is my own like hubris and arrogance because I wanted I've always wanted to read it in Spanish which means that I have to get good enough at Spanish to be able to read it mm-hmm. and I have never gotten to that point uh, with my Spanish ability uh, which means I've just never read it which is foolish but uh, I'm gonna go through you know a, a plot summary and talk a little bit about... Uh, the publication of it, and other things uh, related to Don Quixote. Awesome. Don Quixote, it is a novel. Its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Sir Quixote of La Mancha. At least that's it in English. In Spanish, it would be uh, El Ingenioso Hidalgo Don Quixote de La Mancha. It is often labeled the first modern novel. It is regarded by many people as one of the greatest novels ever written. Uh, It is also one of the most translated books in the world. The plot revolves around the adventures of a member of the lowest nobility, an Hidalgo from La Mancha, named Alonso Quijano. Uh, He reads so many chivalric romances that he either loses or pretends to have lost his mind (laughs) Hmm. Uh, in order to become a knight-errant or a caballero andante, uh, to revive chivalry and serve his nation under the name Don Quixote de la Mancha. The book has had a major influence on lots of literature. Uh, It's referenced directly in The Three Musketeers, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, We get the term quixotic from it, um, as well as the epithet Lothario that comes from... Uh, Originally, it was interpreted as a like comic novel, uh, but throughout history at various times, it has it, it, the view of of what it is and what it's meant to be has changed. And so I'll, I'll talk about that as well. It was written by Miguel de Cervantes, originally published in two parts in 1605 and 1615. So here's the plot summary. So Cervantes wrote as was kind of the style of the time, that this was, that this is a, a true story taken from the archives of La Mancha and uh, also translated from an Arabic text by the Moorish author Síde Hamat Benegeli. This apparently meant to give creator credibility to the text, you know, suggesting that Don Quixote was a real person. Um, but if you think about basically any fairy tale that starts with the line, once upon a time, it's the same kind of idea of just kind of like to to try to immerse the, the audience in the story to be like, yes, this is a this happened at some time in the past. OK, so first five chapters, this is known as the first Sally, Alonso Quijano, the protagonist, although we don't really know that name until much later. Uh, he is nearing 50 years of age and he lives in an unnamed section of La Mancha with his niece and housekeeper, as well as a boy who is never heard of again after the first chapter. (laughs) Uh, Although he's usually a rational man, playing off of the humoral theory of physiology, uh, he was not sleeping adequately because he was reading too much, and that caused his brain to dry. Therefore, he had a choleric temperament, the hot and dry humor, which meant he was easily angered and He believed every word of these fictional books of chivalry uh, to be true. So he began imitating the protagonists of these books, and he decided to become a knight errant in search of adventure. He dons an old suit of armor, renames himself Don Quixote, or Sir Quixote, uh, renames his old tired horse Rocinante, and because in his mind, in order to be a chivalric knight, he needs to have a lady love, uh, he designates a uh, Aldonza Lorenzo, a neighboring farm girl, as his lady love, and he renames her Dulcinea del Toboso. Uh, but she has no idea that that he has done that. Uh, he expects to become famous quickly, so he uh, travels to an inn, which he believes to be a castle. He meets the prostitutes there, and he calls them ladies, and demands that the innkeeper, who he takes to be the lord of the castle, dub him a knight. He spends the night holding vigil over his armor, and becomes involved with a fight uh, with mule keepers, who try to remove his armor from the horse trough so that they can water their mules. Uh, in a pretend ceremony, the innkeeper dubs him a knight so that he can get rid of him. Don Quixote next frees a slave named Andres, who is tied to a tree and beaten by his master. Uh, and makes his master swear to treat the slave fairly. But as soon mm-hmm. as Don Quixote walks away, uh, the beating continues and is much worse. Don Quixote then encounters traitors from Toledo who insult the imaginary Dulcinea. He attacks them, only to be severely beaten and left on the side of the road, and is returned to his home by a neighboring peasant. Uh, so a continuing theme through this uh, story, will we, we've already come to a couple of them. And, and one of them is just pretty much every fight he gets into, he loses. The next chapters, while Don Quixote is unconscious in his bed, his niece, the housekeeper, and the parish curate, and the local barber burn most of his books. Hmm. Uh, it is a scene of high comedy. Uh, the The priest decides which books deserve to be burned and which deserve to be saved. If the books are bad for morality, how does the priest know them well enough to describe every naughty scene? Ooh. <laughs> Even so, this gives occasion for many comments on books Cervantes himself liked and disliked. So he kind of makes his own literary commentary there. After that, the second sally occurs. Um, So Don Quixote pretends to be in good health, and he requests his neighbor Sancho Panza to be his squire, promising him a petty governorship. Sancho is a poor and simple farmer, but uh, more practical than Don Quixote, and agrees to the offer, sneaking away with Don Quixote in the early dawn. Uh, so this is where the real, like, the, the adventures that Don Quixote are, is known for uh, begin. And pretty soon after this, uh, we have the well-known uh, attack on windmills. Don Quixote sees a series of windmills on the, in the countryside, uh, takes them to be giants, and attempts to joust with them. Which he fails. Uh, The two next encounter two Benedictine friars traveling on the road ahead of a lady in a carriage. The friars are not traveling with the lady, but Don Quixote takes the friars to be enchanters who hold the lady captive. He knocks one from his horse and then is challenged by an armed Basque traveling with the company. Uh, The Basque uses a pillow as a shield from the carriage uh, to protect himself when Don Quixote strikes him. Uh, And this is where Cervantes does a weird, like, literary thing... And says that his sources end here, but uh, he came across an Arabic notebook containing the rest of the story. And that the combat ended with the lady leaving her carriage and commanding those traveling with her to surrender to Don Quixote. So it takes takes kind of a weird turn. After that, Sancho and Don Quixote fall in with a group of goat herders. Don Quixote tells Sancho and the goat herders about the golden age of man in which property does not exist and all men live in peace. The goat herders invite them to the funeral of Grisostomo, a former student who left his studies to become a shepherd after reading pastoral novels, which parallels Don Quixote's decision to become a knight, seeking the shepherdess, Marcella. At the funeral, Marcella appears, vindicating herself from the bitter verses written about her by Grisostomo, uh and claiming her own autonomy and freedom from expectations put on her by pastoral cliches. She runs off into the woods. Don Quixote and Sancho Panza uh, go after her, but they lose her and give up, and stop by a pond to rest. Then they are set upon by uh, some Galicians, who uh, end up beating them up after Rosinante tries to mate with their ponies. After that, they uh, travel to an inn nearby, and once again Don Quixote imagines that the inn is a castle. Although Sancho is not convinced, because of course Sancho Panza is not you know, losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Don Quixote is given a bed in the uh, hayloft and Sancho Panza sleeps next to it on a rug. When the night comes, Don Quixote imagines the servant girl at the inn, Helen to be a beautiful princess and makes her sit on his bed with him, scaring her. A One of the mule keepers sees this happening and attacks Don Quixote, leading to a chaotic fight in which Don Quixote and Sancho Panza are again badly hurt. Uh, However, Don Quixote's explanation for everything is that they fought with an enchanted Moor and he has them drink a mixture he calls the balm of Firebras, which uh, is a character from like old Crusade stories, uh, but it ends up just making them sick. They decide to leave the inn, but Quixote, following the example of fictional knights, leaves without paying. Uh, Sancho Panza, however, remains to kind of like try and, try and wrap things up but he gets uh uh, rolled up in a blanket and tossed up in the air by several mischievous guests and that that uh incident comes up many times throughout the rest of the novel they continue on their way and they have a few kind of like misadventures involving a dead body a helmet which is actually just like a, a bowl and they free a group of galley slaves Then he and Sancho Panza wander into the Sierra Morena Mountains and there encounter the character Cardenio. Uh, Cardenio relates the first part of his story in which he falls deeply in love with his childhood friend Lucinda and is hired as a companion to the Duke's son, leading to a friendship with Don Fernando, who is the Duke's younger son. Through their friendship, Don Fernando hears about Lucinda and ends up falling in love with her too, Don Quixote interrupts when Cardenio suggests that his beloved may have become unfaithful after the formulaic stories of spurned lovers in chivalric novels. They get into a fight, Cardenio beats them up, and walks away into the mountains. So basically every, every story ends with them getting beaten up. Following that, Don Quixote pines for Dulcinea, imitating Cardenio, uh, and he sends Sancho to deliver a letter to Dulcinea, but instead Sancho finds a barber and priest from his village and brings them to Don Quixote. They make plans with uh, Sancho Panza to trick Don Quixote into coming home, and they get the help of Dorotea, uh, a woman who they discover in the forest that had been deceived by Don Fernando with promises of love and marriage. Uh, She pretends that she is the Princess Miko Mikona, and uh, coming from Guinea, desperate for Quixote's help. Quixote then runs into Andres, who was the former slave, uh, and all of the uh, storylines are starting to come together. So convinced that he is on a quest to return Princess Mikomikoma to the throne of her kingdom, Quixote and the group return to the previous inn where the priest reads aloud the manuscript of the story of Anselmo, which is known as the Impertinently curious man. And that is where we get the story of Lothario. In that story, there's like the main character, I guess, the Impertinently curious man uh, is interested in kind of like figuring out how much it would take to get his wife to be unfaithful, which is a a weird thing. And so he like, he kind of pesters his friend Lothario into eventually trying to seduce his wife. And so finally Lothario is like, fine, I'll do it. And he's successful and, you know, bad stuff occurs. So during this time, uh, at the inn, Don Quixote falls asleep and sleepwalks, uh, ending up battling some wine sacks, who he takes to be the giants who stole the Princess Makonia's kingdom. A stranger at the inn, or arrives at the inn accompanying a young woman, or that stranger is revealed to be Don Fernando, and the young woman is Lucinda. So Dorotea is reunited with Don Fernando, and Cardenio is reunited with Lucinda. And uh, then another character kind of comes out of nowhere who meets his long-lost brother, and there's just a whole bunch of reunions at this point. After that, an officer of the Santa Hernanda has a warrant for Quixote's arrest for freeing the galley slaves. Uh, The priest begs for the officer to have mercy on account of Don Quixote's insanity. The officer agrees, Quixote is locked in a cage and made to think it is an enchantment and that there is a prophecy of his heroic return home. He has a conversation with a uh, canon from Toledo he encounters on the road, uh, who expresses scorn for untruthful chivalric books, but Don Quixote defends them. When the group stops to eat, Don Quixote is let out of the cage, he gets into a fight who, with uh, some, a goat herd and some pilgrims, and he is finally brought home. And that's the end of the first part. This whole thing is, is very episodic. It's not, there's not necessarily a through line, although that last time in the inn we do see you know multiple characters coming back from previous stories who all kind of like tie up their loose ends there. Um, Mm -hmm. but the ending is very much just a and that's the end he goes home again so that's part one part two is perhaps more coherent uh but also was published 10 years after the original part one is mostly farcical but the second half is more serious and philosophical um there are more conversations between don quixote and sancho panza about like philosophical topics the story is much more kind of focused. Um, so Sancho Panza and Don Quixote f- me- encounter a duke and duchess. And there's kind of like a meta sort of sort of like meta literary metafictional aspect to it because the duke and duchess have read Don Quixote part one. And so they huh. they know they're they're very fond of the books and they know who Don Quixote is and know about his exploits. So they kind of take they take them in and and play a series of pranks and practical jokes on them. I'm not going to necessarily go through all of them, but basically, part two is is this like series of pranks that the Duke and Duchess pull on them, and uh, basically every time it ends up with Don Quixote or Sancho Panza or both being embarrassed in front of a lot of people. Um, so it, it's really just kind of cruel. Eventually, this lengthy, untold history of Don Quixote's adventures uh, comes to a close after his battle with the Knight of the White Moon, who is a young man from Don Quixote's hometown who had previously posed as the Knight of Mirrors. This fight was on a beach in Barcelona, and Don Quixote is conquered, so he submits to the prearranged terms that the vanquished is to obey the will of the conqueror, and so uh, it is determined that Don Quixote will lay down his arms and cease his acts of chivalry for the period of one year. So then he and Sancho Panza uh, set off back home. Uh, upon re- returning to the village, Don Quixote announces his plans to retire to the countryside as a shepherd, but his housekeeper urges him to stay home. Soon after, he is bedridden with a de- deadly illness and later awakes from a dream, having fully recovered his sanity. At this point, he returns to his name Alonso Quijano. Uh, He renounces his previous ambition and apologizes for all the harm he has caused. Uh, He dictates his will, which includes a provision that his niece will be disinherited if she marries a man who reads books of chivalry. Uh, And then Alonzo Quijano dies, and the author emphasizes that there are no more adventures to relate and that any further books about Don Quixote would be spurious. So the reason that he includes that part is because just a little bit before part two was published there was a second part of don quixote that was published by a a a pseudonym licenciado alonso fernandez de Avellaneda of Tordesillas. it was published by by an unidentified aragonese person uh, who was an admirer of lope de vega which was who was a, a rival of miguel de cervantes it came out in 1614, and it is not just probable, but pretty much assured that Cervantes read that while he was still working on his part, Two, um, because a number of uh, a number of references are made, uh, kind of passing references to uh, the Aragonese or Avellaneda or, you know, that statement at the end that anything other than this is spurious and you shouldn't buy it. Huh. so those are the those are the books those are the books um he was influenced uh by a number of of earlier writings like the castilian novel Amadis de gala which was a popular book at that time also the italian po- poem orlando furioso and Apuleius's the golden ass or the metamorphoses of Apuleius. it's like the only ancient roman novel to have survived in its entirety up to up to now so there are a lot of lots of influences that went into it. So Don Quixote also helped cement modern the modern Spanish language um, because of its widespread popularity and influence. And there have been lots of English translations as well. Uh, Thomas Shelton's uh, translation of the first part appeared in sixteen twelve while uh, Cervantes was still alive. And there have been a number of others. Uh, in particular, the uh, the the Tobias Smollett version. Uh, is well known, although there are plenty. I mean, there's one from 2011. So we get a couple of terms from Don Quixote as well, like tilting at windmills, which is an idiom for that means attacking imaginary enemies, uh, and also the term Lothario. So there we go. I'm going to leave it at that. All That's right. Don Quixote.
1: I once attempted to read Don Quixote. Uh, it was in college, and I was like, oh, like let me. You know, this seems, this seems important. Maybe I'll do this during summer break. And I made it a few pages in, and that's about where that stopped. So oh. it was good. It was good to uh, to to kind of cover it in this way.
0: Yeah, I certainly am more familiar with it now, and I'm <laughs> glad that yeah. I glad that I did.
1: Yeah, All right. I'm glad you did too.
0: Are you ready for a quiz?
1: Of course, I'm
0: ready for a quiz. All right, here we go. Question one. Tilting is a term that comes from the sport of jousting. I can't seem to find a professional organization for competitive jousting, no matter how hard I try, but it is still (laughs) the official sport of what state? That state has perhaps the most appropriate flag in the U.S. to fly from a knight's lance.
1: All right. Um... I don't know what state it's the official sport of, but we uh, covered very recently that Ohio has a double pennant-shaped flag, and I don't know what a better guess than that would be, so that's my guess.
0: Oh, I am sorry that that misled you there. Um, it's Maryland. Oh,
1: because all right.
0: Maryland has the the Calvert uh, yep. family.
1: Yep, yeah. that makes sense. It did not all even right.
0: occur to me that a pennant would make, yeah, Pennant makes a lot of sense, so I'm sorry that my clue misled you.
1: No, that's that's okay. I, I'm, I'm glad I came up with a <laughs> viable-sounding guess. Yeah, no, it's a, it's uh. a smart
0: one. But uh, um, yeah, Maryland, it is the official sport of Maryland. I don't know who does it in Maryland, but it is. Maybe they
1: have a Medieval Times there.
0: Maybe they do. You know what? I <laughs> wanna, I was going to make a joke about Medieval Times, but...
1: Medieval Times is a, it's a very enjoyable yeah it is fun
0: if you just if you're just gonna go and (laughs) have fun it is it is that Yep. all right uh, question two don quixote was adapted into a symphonic poem that premiered in cologne germany in 1898 it is a long theme and variations form with solo cello representing the title character and tenor tuba solo viola and bass clarinet trading off the role of sancho panza who composed this oft-performed piece Other major works of his include the symphonic poems Also Sprach Zarathustra, as heard in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Ein Heldenleben. This composer is not, I repeat, not known for his waltzes.
1: Oof. Who composed that? Um. Though I know that I always get this mixed up. But... The waltz's clue leads me toward Strauss. You're probably going to require a first name, but I'm going to start by saying Strauss.
0: And I am going to require a first name.
1: I think it's Ricard, not Johann.
0: Man, that is correct. It yes! is Ricard, not Johann Strauss. Nice, Ooh. well done. Yes. Uh, yeah, Ricard Strauss name <sighs> known for his uh, symphonic poems. Well done, good poll Good. Thank pull. you.
1: Does Jeopardy generally prompt for a uh, be more specific when I somebody don't. names the composer names names is asked for a composer and names Strauss? I think that they don't.
0: I think that they don't. I think they typically they don't. probably should. They definitely should. There is yeah. more than one prominent Strauss composer, just like they should ask for more than one Bach. Yeah. Anyway, yes. You but got only it. one nice. President Kennedy. Right. Come on. <laughs> All right, question three. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that has to take a beat to remember Sancho Panza's name, and I usually get it mixed up with a very different person in history. That person led quite an exciting life as a revolutionary general and bandit during the Mexican Civil Wars of the 1910s. He also led a raid on Columbus, New Mexico, and he was assassinated by political rivals in 1923. Who am I talking about?
1: I assume you must be speaking about Pancho Villa.
0: I am talking about Pancho Villa. (laughs) Man, every time I try to talk about Don Quixote, I'm like, Don Quixote and Pancho Villa.
1: Big same.
0: (laughs) Not not the
1: same. (laughs) Yep, I I have made that mistake.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nice. Yes, that is Pancho Villa. Pancho Uh, Villa. I need to learn more about that period of history too, because I was like, I know I always get Pancho Villa mixed up, but like I don't know a you know a ton about him and I was like looking mm-hmm. looking up a little bit about him for this question, I was like, whoa. There's a lot to learn there. Alright, question four. Don Quixote's tired old horse was named Rosinante. The 1962 travelog travels with Charlie describes which American author's cross-country road trip in a camper truck that he also named Rosinante.
1: Oh no. Wait, you said a you said you said a year there, right? 1962. 1962.
0: And I will say this is fairly late in this author's oeuvre. <sighs>
1: Fairly late, Steinbeck came to mind, so I'm going to go with that.
0: That's yeah, a good thing because it is John Steinbeck. Yay! Well it's John done.
1: Steinbeck.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, Travels with Charlie is a title that I always forget until it is brought up in a question, and I'm like, ah, I should know this. And then they say Steinbeck, and I'm like, yep, I've learned that about twelve times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you there go. There are
1: a lot of important things to know about Steinbeck. Yeah. I would say Travels with Charlie um, is sort of far down the list, yeah. but it
0: does come up anyway. Right, it's not it's not the most important one, but it's there. Yeah. Alright, uh, question five. Man of La Mancha is a musical from 1965 with book by Dale Wasserman, music by Mitch Lee, and lyrics by Joe Darian. The musical is not a retelling of Don Quixote, but is a fictional story about Miguel de Cervantes and his companions performing a play based on his work while awaiting trial in the Spanish Inquisition. The musical has been revived four times and remains an enduring part of Broadway history. The title of its most famous song could be used to describe any one of the delusions of Don Quixote or simply generalized to any flight of fancy. What is that song?
1: Um, I saw my step-grandfather in this show. Um, And the song, what's the title of the song? It must be, the impossible dream, right? To, to dream the impossible dream of uh, I'm gonna, the, the impossible dream. That, the impossible
0: dream is correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I, fi- I figured asking a more specific Broadway question would be okay for you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. It is the impossible dream. When I it's- saw my
1: step grandfather in it, he was not on Broadway.
0: Well, for sure, but uh, okay. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: no, it's a, it is, it is a, indeed, it is, a, it is a Broadway musical. Um, yeah. All right. Just for clarity, I'm not, yeah. I'm not related to yeah. any actual yeah. Broadway actors.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, okay, well, you have 40 points. And the final category is argumentation.
1: Argumentation? Um, I don't really know what that means, but I'll wager 39.
0: Okay. Uh, tilting at windmills is a common phrase for fighting an imaginary enemy politicians love to do this as it's an easy way to unify a base towards some superordinate goal whether that goal is real or not another favorite of people who need you to vote for them is what similar logical fallacy where they take an opponent's argument distort it into something else then argue against that without addressing the original point or intent
1: that's a straw man fallacy
0: that is a straw man fallacy. Well done. Thank you. We all need to be aware of the straw man fallacy. Jeez yeah. Louise, do people love it when they're talking on TV.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, people, people love that. Um, a really great use of my time as an undergraduate n- n- not facetious at all. Um, I took a, I took a course in rhetoric, which was interesting in general. Um, but there was a week where we were memorizing like logical fallacies and finding examples of them. And, I probably use that knowledge more than any other single thing that I learned in my college education.
0: Oh, yeah. That's, that's important to know. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Once you know it and are aware of it, it's so obvious, right? Yep. You see the thing happening. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. no, that's a, yeah, that's, a that's it. Yeah, that's a post hoc. Right. right. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a red right. herring. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, man.
1: Yep. This was a delightful deep dive and a delightful quiz. Thank you. Yeah uh well thank you um and thank you listeners for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you leave a rating or review it takes a couple seconds um and it helps other people find us if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who watch jeopardy let them know about our podcast
0: you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one Our email address is potentpodablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com.
1: That's right. We will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.